All right, well, if you open your Bible this morning with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. I know you were thinking we'd be in 1 Corinthians for a long time. Well, we're going to interrupt 1 Corinthians because we are entering into the summer. And if you have been a part of the church for a few years, you will know that we turn our attention uniquely in the the months of the summer to something we call the Summer Bible Jam. And that has taken a variety of shapes, um, different ways that we strategically try to reinvigorate our enjoyment of the Bible. I think that's about the best way I can put it. That the Bible is an adventure. The Bible is a joy. The Bible is an experience. The, the Bible brings things to our lives that we could never have the life God wants for us apart from it. But the Bible is perhaps one of the most neglected dimensions of the Christian's life. Maybe second only to prayer and There aren't too many more fundamental things in our life of relating to God than the word of God in prayer. And yet, isn't it just a challenge in a fallen world to be able to connect with those two things in a meaningful way? So we feel like this is such a significant dimension to our lives that we take a significant amount of time every year in the last several years to reinvigorate our love for the Bible. We just want to make room for it once again. We want to give it a chance in our lives to have an impact that it's designed to have. We want it to affect us. And we know that that doesn't just happen because we're going to preach one message and remind us all of that. But it it takes intentionality and time and opportunity for the Holy Spirit to bring this word to life. And that's what we want to do. And we do that in Summer Bible Jam. So we've done that in a variety of ways. I'm not going to open up to you too much what exactly we'll do this summer. Uh, We've studied the Bible in different dimensions that will help you actually study it well. This summer we're going to do what we're going to call character studies. So we're actually going to see how it is that God writes his story of revelation about himself into people's lives. And so we're actually going to study their lives from the pages of scripture. And in doing so, teach all of us how to study the Bible that way so we can get the full benefit out of God's word. And that's what we've done in the last few years. But today I just want to introduce the concept of summer Bible jam to us. And I'm going to do that from 1 Peter in just a moment. But before I begin to read from these passages, I think it's safe to say, and this is maybe a weak illustration, but I think it's safe to say that you you and I, we wake up every day of our life and we are looking to put our hope somewhere, right? Life doesn't live well without hope. You notice that? Of all the things in your life, there's a bunch of things that that can kind of wane and come and go, but just think for a second what your life feels like when you have lost hope, right? Nobody wants to live at that address. And so the reality for us is, you know, it's almost like going to a you know, crowded mall or something, and you got to find a parking space. You know, you get somewhere, you, you know, if you're going to be doing life at the mall, you got you to park the car, right? Well, if you're going to be doing life, you, you've, you've got to park your hope somewhere. You've you got to put it somewhere. And, and everybody in this room is not looking to put it in the same place. Do you recognize that? Right, you got teenagers here. Teenagers aren't looking to borrow the parking space from from 65-year-old dude who's trying to figure out how to retire tomorrow. That, that teenager's not looking to have hope in the same places that you're looking to have hope at 65. They're, they're thinking through life differently. There's other things. And so they're, they're thinking, well, maybe I'll put my hope here. Maybe I'll put it in that relationship. Maybe I'll put it in the future of maybe being really good at something in this category. And so there's this temptation, this thought, I'm going to put hope somewhere. And you become a young married couple or... You become empty nesters. You know, at whatever season of your life, you are shopping for a parking space. You get in your car every day and you try to figure out, where am I going to place my hope today? Well, interesting, the, the word of God is strategically designed to help you and I find a parking space. <laughs> to know where to put our hope as we walk through this life. Now we're going to land in this verse. It's familiar to many of us. Chapter 2, verse 2. 
where it's going to tell us like newborn babes to long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. All right, that's where we're going to go. But one of the things that we do in Summer Bible Jam is, is we sort of take you behind the scenes for studying and preaching and, and show you how to use some tools so that when you read the Bible, you get stuff out of it. You know, I know that a lot of times a preaching event is a time where we get our eyes open to something. It's exciting. It's like we see something in God's word and that's why we're here. But when you read your Bible, you want some of those tools to be working. Right, so we're going to land in chapter 2, verse 2, but there's some stuff going on before we get to chapter 2, verse 2, that we might want to take with us. And so I'm going to back us up into 1 Peter chapter 1. Let me start in verse 13, although I'm going to back up a little bit further in just a moment. Chapter 1, verse 13 of 1 Peter says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being Sober-minded, set your hope, and this is hope looking for a parking space, park your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right, so here's this thought. It's an admonition for us to, to prepare our minds, to put our minds in a particular setting sober-minded, prepared for action, right? Now, immediately, if I just interacted with that, I'm, I'm not sure I came in here this morning with my mind in that shape. My mind could be in neutral. Is your mind in neutral right now? I mean, you're still halfway listening to what I'm saying because I'm asking you a question, you're looking up. <laughs> right? Isn't it funny? I, I, I tell guys this who are learning to preach, you will lose your audience the most when you just read the Bible. When I ask you a question, or if I said, you know, one time when I was 17 years old, you'll see that everybody looks up. I'm like, oh, why is that more interesting when we just read 1 Peter chapter 1? It's amazing. But we need a mindset if you pick the Bible up and you hope to get anything out of it. You need a mindset when you come to it. If you hope to get anything out of this message this morning, you need a mindset. Whether I do a bad job or a good job of preaching this morning, you need a mindset. So a mindset that is prepared for action and sober-minded. It's thinking clearly so that at a revelation of Jesus Christ, grace is going to show up in your life. And the Bible is going to turn around and say, and park your hope right there. But see, there's moving parts here, right? Because you can walk out of here today or you can sit down and have your own Bible study time and read your Bible and not find a parking space for your hope. And you'll be unaffected by the word. Because there either there wasn't a revelation that took place because of the way we read, perhaps, the way we engaged God's word. There wasn't any revelation. The grace didn't show up in a spot like, ooh, a parking space. Right, right there, I can park my hope right here. I just saw something about Christ that grace has come to me, and I'm going to park my hope right here. Well, I need that. They needed that, right? First Peter is written into the first century. Look at the conditions that are taking place. Back up, chapter 1. Early verses there, verse 1. This book is written to those who are elect exiles. So they're God's chosen people, but they're, but they're not at home. They're exiles. Right? They're people, in verse 3, that God has caused them to be born again to a living hope. Right? There's a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a living hope available, but then he's going to turn around in verse 6 and say, even though now for a little while you have been grieved... By various trials. So you can be called and elected by God, yet living like an exile, born again by the Spirit of God, and grieved by trials you are experiencing all at the same time. Therefore, verse 13, right? We said this before. When you see the word therefore, you need to see what it's there for, right? So this is what it's there for. It's, it's recognizing, hey, your life might be hard. You, you might be having a hard time experiencing this living hope in the midst of the struggles that you're going through. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look in verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former 
ignorance, right? So we're about to get introduced to this battle of ideas that's going to that's gonna vie for you to park your hope car in its parking spot. You had former ideas. He calls them former ignorance. Don't, don't keep parking your car in those spaces. So there's this mind that's ready and it encounters a revelation from God and grace becomes clear and I know to park right here and that displaces some former ignorance. I had a bad idea operating in my life that I was trusting in and I was looking to to find hope there. So this is a battle for what you're going to believe. Chapter 1 verse 23 in 1 Peter. Scoot over there now. Peter says, since You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For for all flesh, it's like grass and it's glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Right? So there's this contrast. You've got... Former ignorance, bad ideas being contrasted by this revelation of God in his word. One of them is like uh, your azaleas that bloomed a few weeks ago. Remember those guys? They're just beautiful when they do that for about all two or three weeks where they do it. All right, well, there's a whole set of ideas that come along and they bloom and they're real pretty vibrant. And they get your attention and they say, ooh, park your hope car right here. Park it here. Park it here pretty, lovely, and you pull your hope car in, and about two or three or four weeks later, those pink flowers turn brown and just die right on the bush, and your car is parked right there, and your hope just evaporated. The Bible says that's what life is like. There are places and things that you can put your faith in, that you can trust in, that at some point they're like flesh. They, they just fail you. They don't do for you what you hope that they would do. But there is a living and abiding word of God. And it's powerful. He says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So you have been born again. This, this whole thing, this whole spiritual life that came to you and came to me, it came by the word of God. So this word of God plays a dominant role in our lives. You and I have spiritual life by the Holy Spirit, but through the word of God. So the word of God and the spirit of God play a role in our lives that that nothing else is like it. The word of God does something in us and it produces in us an abiding sense of hope. Because every time it reveals to us, it creates a little grace parking space for you and I to suddenly pull in today and say, ah, this is where I need to put my hope. And and, and just warning, you know, where you're parking your car at 17 years old, you're going to need to park it somewhere else at 28, somewhere else at 35, and somewhere else at 77. And when times are going really good... You're going to need to park your car one space, but when times get really tough and really hard, you're going to need to park it somewhere else. You're going to need a revelation that the word of God is going to need to, to bring to you. A living and abiding word shows up in your life over and over and over again in the spaces where you are. And it provides grace when it reveals something to us so that we can park our hope right there. Right, now this, this becomes a little bit of a challenge, Right? If there's no living and abiding word going off in our life. Jesus spoke something to his disciples. John chapter 15 about this abiding word. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he scoots a little further. He says, verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 11, These things I have spoken to you. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
Right, so according to Jesus, for you and I to, to live fruitful lives, for you and I to experience the joy that he has designed us for, we need his abiding word. That experience is related to joy. Now remember, there is former ignorance that's advertising joy. There are azalea bush joys out there for you. That you can run toward them, park your car there, and soak up the little pink flowers. But if you've lived long enough, you've already figured out that the little pink flowers are about to turn brown. And the older you get, have you noticed it turns brown faster and faster? It used to last longer, didn't it? All this stuff is temporary, but there's something God gives that is an abiding revelation that brings grace from which we experience hope and and joy in our lives. We we want these experiences. So having said all this, there's this revelation that's going to come about Jesus Christ that's going to bring grace into your life so that we can transfer our hope there. Now he gets to chapter 2 and says, therefore, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted that the Lord is good or the kindness of the Lord. So that's the backstory leading to this verse that I, I want to install as an umbrella over us as we seek Summer Bible Jam 2018. The Bible turns around, it's going to tell us a few things here. I just want to pick up this verse and take it apart for a moment. It's going to tell us first, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. So immediately there is a characteristic to a Christian in his relationship to this word. I don't know what word we would want to use. There's probably a lot of words that would be biblical and even appropriate to use. There is a discipline to Bible reading. But this word installs an interesting dimension. Because it's not just asking you to be disciplined. It's not just asking you to force yourself. Or create an accountability group where other people force you. Or whatever. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with any of that. We, We want help. But it's asking for you to long for, to yearn and desire and have these longings in your heart. To have something on the inside of you that craves this revelation and delights in it in such a way that I keep coming back over and over and I can't wait and I create room. Right? The, the things that we long for, that's, that's how we treat them, Right? But it's a little bit of a strange thing to me to, to hear someone sort of command you. This is, this is written as a command. Like newborn babes. Long for. You're commanded to long for the pure spiritual milk of God's word. How do you, how do you, how do you command yourself to long for something? I, I command me to like that. You know, I, something about that doesn't work. I don't quite, I quite know if that works. Does that work for you? Right? Somebody gives you something, really not something you wanted. You know, you're relating to somebody. You're in a situation or setting. It's, it's kind of hard just to command yourself to like that. Long for it. Not just tolerate it. Long for that. With everything in you, desire it. Yeah. It just, I don't, that doesn't work for me. And in some ways, I'm not quite sure that's how it operates in us anyway, right? There, there, are, there are longings and hungers and thirst presented to us in Scripture that are like, like our own understanding of those words. Those words are borrowing concepts. When the Bible uses those concepts, it's borrowing what we understand from them. But I, I've, I've never had to command myself to be hungry. Anybody had to do that? You know, like just, you got busy, days went by, and you're like, oh, shoot, I don't haven't eaten in May. Goodness gracious, I command myself to be hungry. It's like, I don't have to do that, do I? I, I simply need to pay attention to the desire that is there, and I have to respond to it a certain way. So I'm not sure that you can make yourself hungry, make yourself desire However, my, you know, my mom used this phrase 
early on, and your mom used it too. There's a mom school somewhere that teaches moms to do this. And it tends to be used at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon because that's close to dinner time. And they have been preparing a meal and they want you to eat that. And they say, don't eat that. It will spoil your appetite, right? All of our moms went to the same school, didn't they? All right, so apparently, while I can't necessarily turn on a switch that makes me go, oh, I'm hungry, I desire, I can do things that diminish that desire. I can live life in such a way that I lose my appetite. And that's, that's treacherous territory for the Christian. Because if this Bible is a means of bringing a revelation of Christ that produces an awareness of grace and where grace is located in our universe, and I can put my hope there, if, if I don't have that functioning in my life, then, then I'm going to chase azalea bushes for the rest of my life. That's going to be my MO and how I'm going to do life. So I, I need to be careful and I need to be aware of something that may be going on in me, right? This, this word is after strong appetite and desire, right? John Piper says it this way. He's not simply telling us to develop the discipline of reading the Bible. He's telling us to develop a yearning for the word, hunger for it, crave it, desire it. All right, well, we know that People do what they want to do, right? The epicenter for our actions is our desires. As something grows as a desire in our life, whether it's a desire for something positive or to avoid something negative, that creates movement for us. That creates decisions for us. So I'm going to do things that I desire. So in this category, what if I'm here this morning and I would hand out a quiz? I should have done this, actually, just to even let you text in and say, how's your Bible reading going? And to just hear, or maybe for you to come face-to-face with your own sense of, well, you know, it's, it's, it's just not happening, or you know, I want to, but, you know, there's just this misplaced dimension of whether or not you and I sit eagerly connecting to this word or not. And if we were to then ask, okay, well then, when, why the disconnect? What's, what's not happening there? Well, I think we would have to start honestly with the sense of, is something else spoiling our appetite? Because God has done something in us that longs for something, desires something. By the Spirit, cravings are in us. Have, Have we spoiled our appetite by sort of satisfying those cravings with something else, right? We do things because we want to do things. And some of us will, perhaps this summer, we will go to a theme park this summer. Doing that as a discipline? Anybody just kind of saying, well, you know, it's summer and I guess we should go to a theme park. Hold me accountable. You know, probably not, right? You're going to a theme park. Why? Because I want to. What's at the theme park? Just different stuff. Different things I haven't experienced or I haven't experienced regularly or just unique thrills are there. Okay, that's why you're going. Because there's something there that's going to produce some reward. Uh, Sporting events, right? Most of us aren't disciplining ourselves to watch the Saints play or to go to a Pelicans game or... Right, there's, some, there's a thrill there, right? We, we, we are drawn to the competition and, and to expertise and people who do things at an unusual level and we want to see this play out and who's going to win and what incredible feat is going to be done and shoots a three-pointer at the end of the game to win, right? That, we're drawn to that. There's a thrill in that. So you don't have to force me to do that, require me to do that. I, I really want to do that. We go see movies, we read books, literature, because we're, we're intrigued by nuances of human story, of what motivates people and how a storyline played out. 
And what surprise and twist and turn was there that made us pay attention and go, oh man, have you seen that movie? That, that movie was so good. What, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? You experienced something when you watched that movie that made you pleased with it, right? Or, or just endless social curiosity, right? We're just endlessly interested in what people do and say and we just thumb through one social media feed after another you know only to set that down and maybe watch some reality tv for a few minutes right we're just we're just drawn to this and no one's got to require that right we kind of want to do that so what's up with the bible is, is the is the bible just irrelevant it's boring none of that stuff's in the bible there's no, nothing like that for us to experience. There's, there's no sense of awe and amazement. There's, there's no page turning. There's no can't wait to get back to watch and binge watch the next episode. There's nothing in the Bible like that to engage us. Really? All right, so here's my contention. Here's the heart of Summer Bible Jam. I, I don't know if we know how to read this book and to sit in its presence and to let it be and do what it does. So we approach it <clears throat> in a way that doesn't work. We turn it into little sound bites, little five minute vignettes. <clears throat> Just gonna get a quick reading thing, check it off because you know it's a duty thing, right? It's a duty thing, right? It's the Bible. You know, the church talks about it a lot. We're supposed to do that. Let's make sure we get that done. Yeah, I'm gonna clean out some space this year. I'm gonna check the Bible space. No, no, no. It's it's a longing thing, it's a desire thing, it's an encounter thing that if you're not having that encounter good luck you're not going to be reading it so if you're sitting here today going why am I not reading the bible I would tend to suspect that's why because you're not encountering the things that the bible's longing for us to encounter when we read it right go back to our verse here chapter 2 verse 2 like newborn babes long for the pure spiritual mercy that that by it, you may grow in respect to salvation. And how, many, how many of you know this? Whatever you started out as, as a Christian, it was intended to grow and turn into more and more and more. Something else. A new dimension. A greater dimension. Greater revelation. Greater understanding. We were supposed to start in one place and venture in for a lifetime and then into eternity, right? Of ever increasing awareness, learning, encounter, experiencing of God. And how many of you guys, if you've sat with enough Christians and you've listened to enough Christian stories, you will notice what I'm about to say. Most Christians seem to continue to reference throughout their Christian life their, their deepest level of encounter in the first two years of their Christian life. And They'll talk about that for years and years and years to come in a way that they won't talk about last week, last month, or the last year. There's all this amazing stuff. What happened after that? Well, I figured God out in the first two years. (laughs) All right. Okay. Let's go with that. No. No, you didn't. Right? But you do live in a fallen world that can kind of make you settle in and not press in any longer and not experience deeper things that that are supposed to be in these settings of longings and desires right so here's what's available to you i think i wrote this in your outline immature thumb sucking diaper wearing temper tantrum throwing self-absorbed toy obsessed non-serving christianity is available in case you're interested for those who have an insignificant encounter with god through his word because it is The word of God that makes us grow in respect to our salvation. So if we have stayed at some location where we are immature, the world's got to come to us a certain way. I'm just looking for the next gadget, the next thrill and toy. Make it adventurous. Make it personal. Make it about me. I I haven't even ventured out into much of discipleship. It, It probably stands to bear that we are lacking an encounter with God's word. And we have stayed way too long at an address that we should have moved on from. All right, here's the real encounter that lies behind this encounter. I mean, you know, God didn't create the universe and 
us so that we would be really good book readers. Did y'all know that? I mean, there's something more than having memorized every word here. Knowing every phrase. Being able to explain the difference between a poetic book and a historical narrative and a letter in the New Testament. Those are all helpful things. But do you think God may have been after something more than that when we read this book? If indeed, Peter says, you have tasted that the Lord is good. What does this pure milk of the word enable you to taste? Just the words on the page there? Concepts and ideas? No, it it postures you, enables you to taste the Lord himself. The Bible is designed for us to encounter the God of the Bible. And there's nothing like not wanting to read the Bible than just pulling up to the Bible and all you experience is words, ideas, doctrines, concepts, points to argue. You might go after that at some level if you're that kind of person. But God was interested in us encountering him. This book was to take us to him. To be able to say, I tasted something just now of the Lord. It It is a revelation of Jesus Christ that reveals the locations of grace. It is the person of God that this book is supposed to take us to. I'm not just supposed to be disciplined in reading my Bible every day. I'm supposed to be encountering the God who revealed himself through a Bible. Psalm 63, verse 1, the psalmist says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Right? This, this is, whether you and I get it or not, this is what the human soul is designed for. Intimacy and connection with the living God. So when you and I wake up looking for parking space, hoisting our eyes for every azalea that's in bloom... We are looking for this experience in our soul. Our soul is looking to be satisfied. It's looking to encounter something that produces this satisfaction in us. And when we don't encounter God, life feels like the psalmist here. A dry and weary land. But I'm I'm not after words or stories, or that I can tell you a few things about Moses or all the items in the tabernacle, that's not the end of the road. That's a means to the end of the road. The end of the road is the encounter of the God who is revealed in those things. And it's not just enough for me to begin to catch God on the horizon. I need to get to where this verse is. I, I tasted, I tasted of that Lord. What he begins to be revealed as, I am called to taste it and have an experience of God through his word. When that happens, I'll be back. Over and over and over again. Verse 2, the psalmist says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and Glory, I have looked upon you in your sanctuary. All right, so if we're going to taste something, we might, we're going to have to see it first. So there is this call to interacting with God that means I, I've got to see some of these things in here. And there's a vehicle, a means through which God has revealed himself. Right? And um, by the way, the Bible is not the only means. I would say it's the predominant means, but it's not the only means. Right? Because the psalmist here is going to actually look upon God in the sanctuary. He's going to actually go into the temple. And in all the ways that God chose to reveal himself in that temple, the bits and pieces, the ceremonies and the approach to God, all that was there revealed something of God to the psalmist. Right? I mean, the, the Bible says you can go out at night and stare out at the stars and the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Now, now be careful, because I can remember walking with people through the years who would 
kind of, they kind of got an aversion to church, you know, for whatever reason. They just don't like people, don't like something about people. You know, so, so, so why do I have to go to church? I mean, why can't I just, you know, go out and sit underneath an oak tree and just me and God? Well, you can. You can do that. And there's, a, you know, 167 other hours in a week. You could go do that all the time if you wanted. But do realize this. If you stare out at the stars, it, they will speak of the glory of God in a very limited way. You'll see magnificence and incredible expanse and creativity. But you won't necessarily see redemption or the atonement or the Son of God who put on flesh in order to take a place for us and reconcile us to God. You're not going to stare at Saturn and get that. So there are ways in which God has revealed himself. There is creation. There's the sanctuary. There's the word of God. You and I need a way. But then when we get in this way, look at what happens to the psalmist here in verse 2. He encounters something in particular. He beheld power and glory. In verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So when he got to a place where he could behold something of God, he saw power. He encountered glory and loving kindness, the caring individual covenant affection and loyalty of God was experienced by this man. These are encounters with God that he had as he picked up a vehicle and made himself available to these things. We're supposed to encounter something. Psalm 19 says this, the law, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise The simple, the precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. You pull up to the Bible and the Bible goes to work in an exchange, in an encounter. And look at it, reviving the soul. You pulled up in one soul condition and the Bible reached into your soul and blew air into it. And awakened it. And and made it suddenly feel like there was life again flowing in my veins. And and it rejoiced the heart. You were in one condition as you approached God's word. But then the word had an impact. And your heart began to rejoice and experience something. Have you ever experienced that as a Christian? Have you sat down with God, communed with him, and you were in one condition. But then the word revived you. Or it rejoiced your heart. You moved into a a new condition of soul as an encounter with God. Or look at these other things. The law of the Lord is perfect. It it makes wise the simple. It it enlightens the eyes. You're just doing life and you're in a moment where you don't know what to do. You're just paralyzed. I don't know my way forward. I don't know how to solve this situation. I don't even know what's right. The law of the Lord enlightens the eyes. And it makes simple people wise. So I, I could discover what the next step is. I could find out from communing with God and his word what to do next in my life. I could encounter something that suddenly reveals what I should do. Well, these are experiences, right? Verse 9 in Psalm 19, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of a honeycomb. More beautiful than the azalea bush. How does one come to want to spend time in God's word? More to be desired. Which, which, by the way, does that mean you don't desire anything else? No, it just means in the battle of desire, other things lose. More to be desired. How many of y'all know, if, I don't know if you've ever read Psalm 19, verse 10, as a prohibition of gold and honey. Does anybody read that that way? Right, you pick that up and you say, more to be desired than gold or the honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. So therefore thou shalt never eat honey again or possess gold. Just the Bible. 
Is that how you read that passage? Because that's not how it's written. As a matter of fact, for you to understand the impact of the Bible, you might have to have encountered gold and you might need to know how sweet honey really is. Because if those have been prohibited for you, you don't even get this passage, do you? Sweetness. Mm. What is that exactly? Well, you ever tasted honey? Oh, yeah. Sweeter than that. So you, ha- you actually have to have that experience in order to get this passage. So the, the Bible, and you know, this is not an argument against reading a book, seeing a movie, going to a theme park this summer, right? It's not an argument against any of those things. It's an argument for a desire greater than those things. So it doesn't mean you shouldn't have any of those experiences, but you want to be thrilled like a, a ride at a theme park? It's better than that. You want to tap into a storyline that makes you want to watch the next episode? Better than that. You want to meet some interesting characters? You're going to meet them this summer. Better than that. Right? So, in some ways, this is, this is the great issue of, of idolatry and substitutes. You and I are wired for this stuff to make us go, oh, wow. Mm, yeah, mm, talk about it with each other, get all excited about it. The, the problem is we don't talk about the Bible that way because we don't encounter the Bible the same way we encountered Han Solo. I don't know if you went and saw that latest Star Wars thing, but you know, we could walk out of that and got a critique. Like we're all of a sudden these movie critics that are like, well, you know, it was this, it was that, it was great. Oh, you see the way they developed this. I think this symbolized that. You know, I mean, we got all this conversation. We're all jazzed about it. But, you know, what was the last time you saw anything worth repeating in here? Is it because there's nothing worth repeating in here? Or is it because we read this thing pathetically? We read it like it's a box to check off, like it's a duty. There's a God to be encountered in here. And if you, if you open the door of this thing and climb in, and you bump into him, I guarantee you the next time you have a conversation with somebody, you're going to tell them about what you bumped into. If you open it and you don't see nothing and you don't taste that he's really, really good, you got nothing to talk about, do you? And you got nothing making you want to come back either. And listen, we, we are wired and designed for thrills. We want it. But, but the Bible stands before us in a fallen universe where everything needs to be appropriated by faith. It stands as more desirable than those things. Right? If we will approach it the way we need to approach it. Here's a, here's a thought from Mr. Piper. He says, we are always aiming to experience spiritual affections in our heart wakened by the spiritual sight of truth in our minds we are taking upon ourselves the same goal for our bible reading that that jonathan edwards right the 17th century preacher in new england had for his preaching when he said i should think myself in the way of my duty to raise the affections of my hearers as high as possibly i can Provided that they are affected with nothing but truth. And with affections that are not disagreeable to the nature of what they are affected with. Piper says, we read our Bibles to raise the affections. Yes, but we aim to be affected by truth. Seeing the glory of God as we read the Bible should never be an end in itself. We read in order to see, in order to savor We seek insight in order to enjoy. We seek knowledge in order to love. We seek doctrine for the sake of delight. The eyes of the heart serve the affections of the heart. So this book that peels back a revelation of Jesus Christ for us, it's intended to affect our souls. 
to do something on the inside of us, to raise our affections toward God, toward his purpose, toward what we label as beautiful and amazing and awesome and worthy. It, it upgrades all those words as we encounter God. Right? Isaiah said, but this is the one to whom I will look. He who's humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Trembling at my word. Trembling? Yeah. That's an encounter. That's an experience. That's a real deal. All right, so when you read your Bible, does it revive your soul? Does it take your soul into a new condition? Does it bring joy? Does it enlighten attitudes and understandings and suddenly you were thinking this way but now you get it and I think this way does it rejoice your heart does it make you tremble before God right these these are encounter words right go back to Psalm 63 there verse 4 says so I will bless you as long as I live in your name I will lift up my hands For my soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. That's another one of those Bible verses that if you've never had fat or rich food, you don't know what that's talking about. It's just saying, hey, you know that? Up a couple. More than that. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Right? Where is this coming from? It it is coming from encountering God, as we read the Bible, suddenly I I have a new perspective, I have a new delight. I long for some different things. More thought from John Piper, he says, we never read the Bible merely to see the glory of God, never merely to learn or merely to know or merely to amass doctrinal truth. We always see and learn and know in the pursuit of affections and feelings and emotions and passions that are suitable to the truth that we have seen. Divine fingers of scripture are meant to pluck every string in the harp of your soul. We never just read to know. If you go see some movie or read some book that you're going to recommend and it doesn't do anything to to pluck the strings of your soul what you got to say about that movie I don't know I I just didn't think it was all that why are you saying that you might even not know why that's why because nothing inside of you went nothing it just didn't do anything. The characters didn't do anything. The, the plot line didn't do anything. It didn't land in a place. It didn't grab your interest. It didn't make you amazed. It just didn't do any on the inside of you. And so you got nothing. You going back to see that movie? Can't wait till it comes out on video? Nope. Didn't do anything for you. Right? Got any of that going on when we read this? Because remember, again, if, if that's not what we encounter, the great tragedy is you just won't be back to see that one again. Now, you'll come in here, maybe, and you'll listen, and you'll, you'll hear Bible reading is really, really important, and you're encouraged to do it, and maybe you even form an accountability group to help make sure you, you're staying with your Bible reading. And listen, there's a whole other message I could do out of spiritual disciplines that simply are the things that we do because we're wise enough to know they take us to a good place even if we're not in that place right now so there is an argument for discipline but bible reading needs to be delightful it needs to be something that we long for because we actually do encounter something when this occurs so here's my conclusion i think it's the last thing you're outlined there experiencing your calling Right? Everybody's shopping for a place to park your hope. Who am I going to be? How am I supposed to live? Experiencing your calling, transferring your hope, encountering joy, power, glory, loving kindness, walking in obedience, bearing fruit, being transformed. 
are all vitally connected to a significant encounter with God through his word. So if that's not what you're experiencing when you read your Bible, right? Summer Bible Jam for the last few years has got some really, really good material in it. And hopefully we'll have some good material again this summer. Because again, we're not just trying to get you to perform a duty. We're trying to get us to long for God's word. Now here's something, let's just peel back what we're going to do this summer. But then we're going to take a moment to pray together. Uh, this summer we're going to visit the, the humanity of the Bible. We're going to sit down with the people and their stories. The things that you and I identify with and connect with as we read about King David and the nuances of what made him a man and what made him struggle and, and where was their success and where was their failure and, and, and how did God work in his life and what gets revealed about human nature and about God himself or we study Sarah and we we look at the situation she had to walk through and what faith looked like as she was partnered with the father of faith and living a life that maybe some can identify with all right here's the here's the thing that we want to learn to do this summer and this and again these are all just helps for us to actually enjoy the bible when we read it the Bible is not just a, a book of catchphrases, standalone proverbs, cool concepts, doctrines, big words like sovereignty. It is that, and those words help us to catch what the Bible's saying. But the Bible's written into the human experience. It uses human beings like canvas upon which to tell God's revelation. That's where you get a revelation of Christ. So let me just give you this thought from David Paulson and the Wet Your Appetite for what this is what we're after this summer as we study the characters of Scripture and we see some things, right? Paulson makes a point in one of his recent books that uh, that is a warning about just abstracting truth from Scripture, just grabbing ideas from it. He says, when we do that, we hear no conversations. We feel no emotions. We watch no particular struggle unfold. These truths and exhortations, wise truths, helpful exhortations, have been taken out of context. As propositions, they've been stripped of the names and the places and the experiences, the failures, the successes, the dramatic actions and vivid metaphors that clothe most biblical revelation. We need stories and word pictures, both from Scripture And from the testimonies of daily life, we need to understand how scripture illumines and connects to our current situation. If you don't think this book is in your business, you won't read it. You you need to encounter people who look and feel like you in some ways. So you get, hey, what did God do there for that guy? We need practical help to work out the implications and applications for who we are for where we struggle, for what we face. Scripture vividly and inductively demonstrates how these truths get traction and get personal. We need other people. We need to hear and take to heart other people's stories. We need God's creation. We need to understand our times. We need honesty about ourselves. We need fresh object lessons. We need embodied faith and love. We need many different wisdoms to illumine the different paths of life. The just do this approach, right? I know sometimes that's what we sound like when we counsel one another. Well, you just need to think this way. You just need to believe that. You just need to fill in the blank and that'll fix you. And he says that, that formula never meets the need. But if you read the Bible looking for catchphrases to fix you, what you might not have developed is an ability to stare into the people that God has been dealing with and to notice the nuances of who they are and where they struggled and and how much I identify with them. Right, so the first guy you're going to meet in a couple of weeks is King David. For a bunch of reasons I chose King David, but we'll get to that later. But King David, right? You know a little bit about his story. Few get the bumper sticker resume that he gets a man after God's own heart leads people in amazing ways incredible triumphs 
establishes the kingdom of Israel in a way that nobody before him did and probably nobody after him until Christ came. He's an adulterer. And that's in the Bible. You ever thought and stared through what was that like to be that man? To be on the highs that he was on? And to have to wrestle through the destruction that he brought through moments of foolish decisions? See, if you can paint that picture significantly from Scripture, you, you might feel like that would help me. If you're a person who's blown something up in your world and trying to figure out what what do I do next? How does this work out? After that kind of failure in my life, what kind of future could I possibly have? What kind of future did David have? You get that by staring at his life and learning the humanity of a man that God revealed himself in his story. So that's what we want to learn to do. But here's what I want to do this morning. Peter says for us to prepare our minds for action and be sober-minded, right? So I, I I want us to do that this morning. I want us to take a sober reality check of where is my Bible reading this morning? Might just need to ask, where is my Bible? All right, that could be a good starting spot. Where is my Bible reading? Am I here this morning able to stand in the presence of God and say, I long for God's word like a newborn longs for milk? Or am I here this morning saying, that's that's not where I'm at? I don't think I can command any of us, myself included, okay, long, right? Don't know that I can do that, but can you can you wrestle through some hard questions this morning? Can you identify are there are there things in your life that are spoiling your appetite? Because here, you know, in two weeks, you know, so you got two weeks to work on this. Two weeks we get in the summer Bible jam. And if you are if your life is full of things that are spoiling your appetite for God's word, two weeks from now you won't make any more room for it than you ever have. Because if you eat big snacks at three, you're just not real hungry when dinner comes. And so I think one thing I just think the Lord would help us to do this morning is to find out, have, have I created a life and populated it with things that spoil my appetite for God, for his word, for taking the time to encounter him and engage him? Because that's what we want to do, right? And I think most of us say, yes, that's exactly what I want to do. So maybe this morning God would just help us figure out ways that we are spoiling our appetite. So let's, let's stand up together as we go on this venture through summer together. Let's start in the same place. Let's start this morning just asking God to give grace to us for longing. And Lord, I pray this morning Lord, we come because you call us together. And when we're together, you are among us in a unique way. And so, Lord, right now we're aware of your presence among us. You you are here. You, You are here to do some things that we just can't seem to get done on our own. Maybe don't even feel like we want to get them done. But we know that you are the God who is at work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. So Lord, all of us are living our life every day. God, we, we're looking for a place to park our hope. We want to live in this season of our lives with, with expectations for good, glorious things, purposeful, meaningful things. We want a sense of anticipation in our lives. Lord, I, I want to awake every day with a sense of what is God doing today? What is, what is today going to fulfill in his great plan? And Lord, you say that a revelation of Christ, your words can bring us to that place. 
Lord, if we've not been going there right now, would you help us? Help us, Lord, identify. Have we constructed a world full of snacks? We just snack all over the place. Every time we have a longing, every time our soul scratches, we, we run to something besides your word. Moments of hunger, moments of desperation, moments of longing don't turn into an opportunity for your word to help us see you and encounter you, Lord. They're just, they're just another thing, another distraction, another moment on a device, another activity, another place to go, another venue, another person to connect with. And our, our souls are left starved for your word, Lord. We have lacked an encounter with your word. But God, you have drawn us here this morning to give grace to us. I want to believe even this morning there's been a revelation of Jesus Christ that brings grace to us that we might set our hope there. Lord, there's hope. There's hope for us in the days ahead. There's hope for us who have struggled to get meaningful Bible time into our lives. There is hope for us because there is grace for us through your Son to us. So Lord, we just hoist our hearts to you this morning. Lord, we... we confess our agreement with you, Lord. We, we want your word to be our delight, our longing. We want to crave an encounter with the living God through the word of God. Lord, we want that. And so in the next couple of weeks, Lord, would you bump into us over and over again? Would you help us be intentional? Would you pre- help us prepare our minds for action? That we might be suddenly aware of ways in which we have spoiled our appetite through this choice or that time or that pursuit. And you might teach us to make room in our appetite, to let you create longings that we don't let anything but you satisfy in us. That's what we're asking for you to do. Lord, do that for us here. Summer 8 of 2018, God. Bring us more deeply into your word, into an encounter with you and your word. Jesus' name. That a song, Kurt? My soul finds rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation, a fortress strong against my foes. Will not be shaken. The lips may bless and hearts may curse, and lies like arrows pierce me. I'll fix my heart on righteousness. I'll look to Him who hears me. Oh, praise.